Hello, my name is Lee Shellnut, and I'm the pastor of the Huntersville Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church. That's a mouthful, so we affectionately know of ourselves as HARP. We at HARP welcome you to the podcast of our preaching and teaching ministry. We're grateful that you've joined us. If you're encouraged by what you hear, we'd love to have you subscribe. We believe in the power of God's Word, and we love sharing the glorious good news of the Lord Jesus Christ as we preach and teach through the pages of Holy Scripture. So join us now as we open up God's Word. This is the invitation. Turn, if you will, to Luke chapter 1. You don't have to turn necessarily. It's there for you in the bulletin. But if you like the, the sensation of books and the rustling of pages, turn to Luke chapter 1. We take our reading from verse 67. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouths of his holy prophets from of old that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the way of peace. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be unto God. I have no doubt whatsoever that it is hard to live in expectation and hope in the midst of pain. Let me illustrate it for you. Children, you have no doubt gotten a splinter, haven't you? At some point in time, some little tiny piece of wood or metal has brought you to a halt. You were busy playing and and all of a sudden, well, there it is. And you don't know what you're going to do because nothing else matters except having that splinter removed. I say children, but I'm really talking about me. That's that's the way that it is. When, When pain is present, hope sometimes seems to diminish. 
It takes the realization. It takes the picture. It takes the reality of, well, of a more concrete hope to come. To relieve it. So, so that when that splinter is there and someone, usually your parent, comes and says, here they are, I found the tweezers. They swash them around in alcohol. You don't want to get tetanus or something. You put them in the alcohol. And what do they do? Well, they fish around and you're still in pain. But once that thorn, once that splinter, once that piece of metal is removed... Well, the relief you feel makes you forget about the pain. It makes you no longer remember. You know what it is to be whole again. The hope of relief. That's the picture here in Luke chapter 1. That's what it is that we call Advent is that the world has been plunged, it has been sunk into the depths of pain. You know loss. You know grief. You know sickness. You, you even know splinters. And something's got to make it right. For us, as we take a look at Zechariah's the prophecy at his song, we understand that the hope is not from within ourselves. It's not found in this world. It is from the promise of God given to us from outside. Because if you look at our world with, well, with eyes that are, that are not looking to God, you will conclude with, well, with the philosophers, won't you? Everything's emptiness and meaninglessness. Or you might even conclude with, with others like Camus who said the only question in life is suicide. You see the pain, don't you? And you hear those words and they, they're a shock to you because you have hope. Well, imagine being Zechariah. Zechariah is a priest unto God and, and he is going in to minister. And what? happens well he's been in darkness he's been in in despair he's been in the depths of woe for a while over his own situation he wants a son as a matter of fact when the angel comes to him he says your prayers have been answered what does that mean he's been praying he he knows the pain of of childlessness that it is to him that he's, he's endured for this long. And, and so the word comes and, well, in the midst of his pain, he doesn't really have or find hope and he doubts God. And what does God do? He makes him mute. He makes it where he can't talk for a season. And now, now, John has been born. John has been circumcised and it's time to name him. And so... Elizabeth says his name will be John, and they say to her, No, listen, listen, you know our custom. We name our children after the family. Call him Zechariah. And she says, Well, ask him. He motions, and they bring him a tablet, and he says, He shall be called John. And then, now, it's not like he didn't have the Spirit before, but now the Spirit comes upon him, 
and he prophesies. And in this prophecy, we are, well, we are given the tweezers, if you will. They have found them for the pain that, that has so long plagued the world. Here they are, a glimmer of hope. And so then he prophesies. We're brought to the hope that will bring relief. People had lost sight of expectation and hope. They had even given up, possibly, in the word of God. It's been so long that he's been promising that he is going to redeem. As a matter of fact, there's been no word from him for 400 years. We ought to think of another time where for 400 years there was no word. And then the Lord begins to work. Always in His time, never in our own. And He begins to work. And here, here we see Him, to borrow from C.S. Lewis, we see Him on the move. He's up to something. It had always been winter and never Christmas. And now, now, now hope was afoot. And so as we look at John, as we look at Zechariah singing over him, well, we need to understand that this, this song, if you, if you read it wrongly, this prophecy, you will think it's a, a song of rejoicing at the birth of John. But it's not that at all. It's a song at the Messiah who he knows is coming. And so we're going to look at this song in, in two points. Now don't get your hopes up. There are sub-points that we're going to go through. So it's not just two quick points. It's, it's a longer point and then a shorter point. But two points to give you. What do we have as we look Zechariah's song, we see it's the song of promised deliverance. It's the song of promised deliverance. And then secondly, we see it's a song of glorious expectation. The Lord delivers and there's yet more to be fulfilled. So let's see this song of deliverance. Look, look at this promised deliverance. It is a prophetic fulfillment. John or Zechariah, as he sings concerning the coming of the Messiah and he sings of his own son, he is not making this up on the spot. This is not something new. What does he do? He returns again and again and again to the promise of God. So that when everything had seemed dark 400 years, there's not been a word. 400 years, there's been silence. 400 years, they've been waiting for the deliverance of God. And even longer than that, because the promise was all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. There will be a seed and he will crush the head of the serpent. Now, they've been looking for it for a while. Eve, well, she gives us the first picture of it, doesn't she? 
She conceives Cain. And what does she say? By the Lord's help, I've gotten a man. What is she thinking? She's thinking that the Messiah has already come. She didn't understand yet. That revelation hasn't unfolded. Was Cain the deliverer? I hope not. And, and then, a couple of chapters later, Lamech has a son. And he says of this son, this is the one who will give us rest in the land. You see, he's already looking. He's already looking. His son, you know, is Noah. But Noah didn't give rest. Noah went through a lot and, and the world was saved by God's grace through that ark. But, but Noah didn't bear the wrath. The ark did. It bore the wrath of God. It, Noah didn't pay for sins. Noah was a sinner. He gets off of the ark. He plants a vineyard and, well, you know, he drinks of it and becomes drunk. It's been a long time coming. And then, after all that they've been through, there were 400 years of silence, and now, now the Spirit of God fills his heart and fills his mouth. And what does he say? As he has spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham. His hope's not in something new. His hope's in something old. And that's the beauty of our, well, of our faith. It's not something new and made up on the spot. And there's, not, there's no more revelation to be given to us. No, it's, it's rock solid on the bedrock of God's promises. And that's the next thing that you see in this song of deliverance. It, there's this prophetic certainty about it. Did you, did you catch it? I, I skipped over it. And I went to the promises being fulfilled because, well, I just wanted to make a point. And, and so I skipped over it. And now let's go back. Did you catch it when you read verse 68 and verse 69? Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Anything stand out to you about that? Jesus hasn't been born. And he's already declaring victory. J Jesus hasn't even set foot on the scene except in the womb of Mary and causing John to rejoice. But, but Jesus isn't even here yet. He's got another six months before He is brought forth into the world. What can we do with this? What do we say to this? Well, this is what we do. We take the promises of God and we rest more surely on them than we do on any circumstance in which we find ourselves. 
in any darkness, in any night, in any pain. No, we don't look to our pain. We don't look to the darkness. We look to the promise of God. He declares it as surely done as if it had already happened. Do you have that sort of confidence in God's promises? Do do you base all of your life, all of your being, all of your hope on the word of God more than you do upon any, any of your experiences? Because we've had varied experiences. You, you have not lived my life. I've not lived your life. I don't know your pain. You don't know mine. But I can say to you, even if your pain is different than mine, your diagnosis is different, your loss is different, your grief is different, I can say to you, it's okay. The Lord will win. How do I know? Not because I feel it. Well, why? Well, we need to sing that old song again, don't we? Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Zechariah is resting. And he's declaring it as done. As good as finished. Even though Christ hasn't been born yet. Because the promises of God are more sure than any. In all of my experiences. And then Zechariah goes forward. He reminds them that the kingdom they are looking for in this song of promised deliverance isn't simply deliverance from Rome. Right? He sings about deliverance from his enemies. And you're tempted to think, now wait, Zechariah, I hope you don't make the mistake that the Pharisees did you know how they were expecting Jesus to come riding through on a, on a white steed with sword in hand and overthrow Rome. And he came through on a colt, a donkey's colt, with no sword in hand. Meek, lowly, and he overthrew the world and all of its systems. And so you might be tempted to think that he's looking only at the temporal, but he, he doesn't stop there, does he? That we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Here's the reality. We serve and have a higher allegiance to a greater and higher king. And we don't worry necessarily about how the things play out in the kingdoms of this world because we have a king who reigns now. Who reigns forever. Yes, we, we have concern. We watch how things play out. But we know ultimately that we have the opportunity because of His grace to serve Him without fear no matter where we find ourselves. So our brothers and sisters in China, well... They may be beheaded by the state, but they serve a king. They, they may face persecution, but, but they are free in Christ. 
Because his kingdom is forever. It's without end. It is after, well, the house of his servant David. This is the promised one who would reign forever and never be dethroned. And then he finally talks about John. Right, He speaks about the, the blessings that God has bestowed. He talks about his Messiah that's coming. And he, and he sets out now John. He says this, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. To give light to those who sit in darkness, in the shadow of death. To guide our feet into the way of peace. What does he say about John? He doesn't say, you're the one. No, he does hear what John's going to have to do for the entirety of his ministry, entirety of his life. What does he do? He says, and you, John, you're not the one. But you have a duty, a duty that is to point to drive, to carry men to the one who's to come. And you see it, don't you? A couple chapters over in Luke chapter 3, it says they were all in expectation concerning John and what they were wondering is, is he the Messiah? And what does he do? I am not him. I'm not even worthy to untie his shoe. And then you see it in John, don't you? Where, where John's out there baptizing in the Gospel of John. Different John's out there. The Baptist is out there baptizing. John's out there baptizing. And, well, there goes Jesus. Walking by. Now, John's a pretty popular guy. And, and if he were a preacher in our day, he would have his own website. He would have flyers distributed when he's coming to town so that you would know. He might even charge a nominal fee because, well, honestly, he's just that popular. But, but that's not what he does, does he? There he goes. There, you see him? This is the one of whom I was speaking. This is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then it happens the next day. And his own disciples leave him. And follow Jesus. And John could not be more thrilled. He must increase. I must decrease. And so here you have this song. It is a song of, of promised deliverance. Because, see, even the coming of John, you understand, was foretold. Go to Malachi 3. And Malachi 4, and what does it say? I will send my messenger before him, and he will prepare the hearts of the people to turn their hearts back to the fathers and the fathers back to the sons. The word of the Lord is sure. He fulfills it here. Now, we have to deal with something. Because Jesus did come, right? Jesus came and lived sinlessly. And, and Jesus died in the place of sinners. And, and Jesus, well, was buried. And Jesus was raised. And Jesus ascended. And this song, well, this song 
needs to account for that because I told you there was a glorious expectation. And I didn't want you to think I made it up just to have two points because it would be strange to have one. I want you to see... I want you to see that John wasn't the answer, but, but Jesus has come into the world and He has removed... Well, He's removed the splinter. The poison of death is gone. You say, now wait, wait a second. Wait a second. I have had loved ones who've gone before me. What do you mean? Here's the reality of many of the promises in Scripture. They, they are set out and they will see their fulfillment in part, but still await something more in future. What do I mean? Well, here, Zechariah is prophesying about things that are already accomplished and things not yet. What are the things not yet? Well, verse 77 to give knowledge of salvation to His people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. What are you talking about, Zechariah? You ready for it? He's talking about you. You are those who sat in darkness. Who now see a great light. You see Christ when He came. What did He tell that Syrophoenician woman? I didn't come for you. I came for the children of Israel. For the household here. He had further work. And what did He say? He said He's going to go. He's not going to leave us as orphans, but He's going to go and prepare a place for us and He will come back. And until He does, the Gospel's to go. And so you have those missionary endeavors, don't you? Going out to the Gentiles. Going out, going out, going out. And here we are. But the reality is it's not yet fulfilled, is it? There are still those in darkness. There, there are still those who haven't had the light to shine upon them. So what do we do here? Well, it's, it's pretty easy to say. Not so easy to do. We take the promises of God that He will save and we broadcast them freely. We, we tell the world that Christ has come, that there have been others who have come who have, who have given hope to people, but they are not hope. There have been others who have come and claimed to have some sort of light, but they are not light. We, just like John, just like Zechariah, must point to the hope of the one who has come. And so there is a glorious expectation for us still. And just as sure, just as sure as the promise of His first coming is so certain that Zechariah could say, He has come and redeemed. So sure is the promise of His second coming that we can say, every knee will bow. 
and every tongue will confess, the Lord will be at work. So here's the reality. It is hard to live in hope and expectation in the midst of pain. But we need to face the reality that our greatest enemy is not physical pain or earthly things or, or political things. No, no, Christ, Christ has conquered our enemies. And He will subdue them for us. That's, that's the promise that Christ has conquered our enemies. Enemies. Now you say, wait, wait, I'm still experiencing pain. I'm still experiencing loss. I still, we heard Pastor Lee, battling besetting sins. What, what do I do here? You, you go forward in faith. Faith that's guided on the bedrock of God's word and not by the sight of experience. You go forward Understanding that what God has promised, He will fulfill. Not, not one of His promises has ever fallen to the ground. Jesus said heaven and earth would pass away before even one word of His fell. Do, do you approach life in this way? Has, has the darkness of the long day since Christ's ascension come down upon you and, and you right now are, well, you're, you're failing in hope? Are you lagging? Well, you don't need to look at your circumstances or your bank account or, or your health or your job or you need to look to the promises of God. He has said He will return. And we must take them. Even in the face of dark times and, and hardship, He has been steadily working. Let me give you one, one illustration of it so that you can, you can understand that even when things look grim, the Lord is at work fulfilling His promises. You, you get to Exodus, right? At the, at the end of Genesis, Joseph dies. And you turn over to Exodus and it says as it begins, look, there was a new Pharaoh who did not know Joseph. And he said, look, there are a lot of people here in this land. Let's, let's afflict them lest they rise up against us. And it looks dark and grim for the people of God. There they are being afflicted. And then God comes in and he's going to deliver them through Moses. And it gets even darker. You get those plagues. And in the midst of those, Pharaoh goes, you know what? I'm going to make this even harder on them. Take away their straw. You make them make brick. They, they cannot decrease their load. They make the brick without the straw, but they got to gather the straw themselves. And you go, what are you doing, Lord? Well, if you're careful when you read, and you pay attention, you will note that every time affliction comes, it says something like this, and the people of Israel multiplied and grew strong. 
And the people of Israel multiplied and grew strong. And the people of Israel multiplied and grew strong. God was at work fulfilling His promise to Abraham in the midst of their affliction. His promise to you is just as faithful as it was to them. He says it. This is the thing fulfilled that He spoke by the mouths of His holy prophets from of old. Don't despair this Advent season. Don't despair. No, look in hope at the promises of God. There you will find the balm for your soul. There you will find the relief from the splinter of sin and death. A far more poisonous splinter than the one you get in your finger. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, do a great work. Give us faith that we will walk by faith and not by sight. Oh Lord, bless us now that we might commune with you. In Jesus' name.